Hello and welcome to What We Talk About When We Talk About Tech, a podcast about tech storytelling and the words and narrative shaping the future. I'm Rich Gall, you can follow me on Twitter at Rich G Gall, and I'm joined by my co-host Jennifer Riggins as always, you can follow her on Twitter at JK Riggins, and in this week's episode we're talking with Michelle Wolfe, who you might know from Twitter under the alias Stella. Now Stella, or Michelle, is a security expert uh, cybersecurity expert or digital resilience expert. Um, so we talk a little bit about kind of different words and what they mean with Stella. And we also talk a little bit about kind of edtech and some of the issues that have arisen, particularly over the last 12 months, as new technologies have found their way into all of our homes via our screens and things like that. So definitely some really timely issues we're going to be talking about. Um, so hope you enjoy the conversation. But first, let's meet Michelle. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you very much for having me on. No, no worries. Maybe the best place is to kind of let you introduce yourself and sort of talk a bit about who you are and what you do. Okay, great. Thank you. So very briefly, I currently work in privacy. So I'm a DPO in the public sector in education. And my current battle is edtech and privacy in schools. I have been in and out of education for 20 or so years. So I'm kind of aging myself here, but um, there we are. And so I'm a trained teacher, but I was a training spouse. So I've moved all the way kind of around the world a bit and I've ended up doing bits of marketing and bits of tech support for different companies um, who often got me in to train their staff and then would say hey we have this website that um, we need to set up or we're not getting many customers in or something and um, so that's where I kind of got I always really wanted to go into law actually when I was younger and I was told that I should just be a bilingual secretary and that's still the career advice today actually it's not very good but so when I got to when I actually got to America a few years ago and I found all the privacy work there that was being done and the kind of harm reduction work that I got into, I was really pleased and I really found my sector. So I've kind of actually managed to get into law. I mean, I'm not legally qualified, you know, I'm not trying to give anybody that impression. I haven't got a law degree and I'm not qualified to give anybody you know, detailed legal advice, but I do love it. I do love the privacy advice side of things. So there we are. I think a good place to start because we're talking about cybersecurity. I always like to lay this table stakes to use a Britishism to, <laughs> yeah. to ask you first, what is cybersecurity? How do you define that? Oh, sometimes I actually hate the word. Sometimes I actually hate the term cyber as well. But I think at base, it's just securing people and things. And it's the certainly in sort of my end of work, if I've, I've done work doing security awareness and, and things like that and developing those kind of trainings and or advising people on how how they should approach that and yeah from that perspective it's very much been how can we secure our systems how can we keep our people safe this is very broad though isn't it and so when you say you don't like cyber security you prefer (laughs) just saying it's security because cyber is everywhere or what Sometimes oh, I don't hate it, hate it. I do use it because I have to, but sometimes I just, I, I think sometimes it almost becomes one of those things where people are saying, oh, cyber, and it kind of shuts people off. I don't know why. I think less now. 
I think there are more, it's become a little bit more mainstream, the word, and people are used to hearing it, aren't they? But it used to really switch people off or frighten them almost in not, I mean, I'm broad strokes here. I'm, I'm not saying everybody. I remember in, in the US, I, I was saying to people, well, just, you know, friends and mums and the playground and stuff. And I was, I was talking to them about how I was interested in that area. And I would say cybersecurity or something else. And they would say, oh, my goodness, but are you safe? But, and even things like, do you not think you need to learn how to use a computer first? And I was thinking, I know, I'm 40 years old. Or at the time, you know, I know how to use a computer, but yeah. Since our listeners or our target audience are very into words, because that's <laughs> defining, translating the future of work. What do you think would be a better word? I, I do think cybersecurity is fine. I think, though, that the sphere that I'm in is more online resilience. So it's giving people the sense that they kind of like we talk about self-defense or healthy eating or something more proactive because often when you say to people hey have you considered a career in cybersecurity?" people think of the money or people think of hackers and they think of that in the unfortunate sense of the kind of criminal term that it's come the association that's come to mean which it isn't really which is a shame but yeah, I mean, I suppose broadly it's that. I mean, I like cybersecurity much more than I like cyber. Yeah, that's completely non-specific whatsoever and just makes us... Yeah, it sounds a bit spacey, work. doesn't it? So, Which, not that there's anything wrong with spacey, we just don't live there. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Probably most of us won't be able to, but a few very, very wealthy men will. Um, <laughs> I just have to ask because I just read recently the 2020 Linux Foundation Contributor Survey, and I... I think it may be a question wording issue, but <laughs> asked like who is response, who wants to be responsible for security? And only 3% of developers said they wanted to be responsible for security, which yes, there are wording issues with that. But on any team that, so I don't want to just say a tech team, but uh, there are a lot of people that interact with users, whether they are actually, as Jessica Rose pointed out recently on a call, mm. have permitted, have actually consented to be users, but they are in users. Who, if you're working with any type of users, who is actually responsible for the security or cybersecurity? It's a very good point. And it's one of the things that I get quite annoyed about, as you know. <laughs> I think working in a sector like I do, where I'm very accountable, I can be observed at any point doing what I'm doing. And at any point, you know, I, a couple of weeks ago, we had somebody from the school board just asking a routine question, as they are completely entitled to do so. And we had 10 people, including myself, immediately scrambling to give them a response. And we ended up rewriting a policy because of that question. And that is what I call accountability, because at the end of the day, I'm responsible. You know, we're one of the biggest schools in the country. So we have a lot of people and we affect what we do ripples out. And working with young people, you have to be very mindful of what you're doing. And that's it, as it should be. But we don't have the same standards in tech at all. <laughs> and people don't want to be responsible because they've never been asked to be. And they aren't used to being asked the question. And I think there's a lot of blaming. And I think it tends to be, you know, like you see, every time we have a problem, like a breach or somebody has a comms issue or something, it's inevitably because there's been a lack of planning and the voices of caution and wisdom have been ignored and people get blamed because they're the intern, the admin person, the, the person who hasn't got the cybersecurity degree. They will be the people who are blamed and laughed at. And even when, you know, you have a person who clicks on a, a phishing link or, you know, uses people, even people using Facebook, oh, people get mocked. There's no accountability. And there isn't a bad thing, but I think people see it as that because they, they aren't used to it and they're scared 
because I don't think there's an example of what happens and because it tends to be you get fired, you get a bit shamed and then you still have a career. <laughs> Nothing really happens to you in tech. You, you know, you can ha- cause the, the data of, you know, 50 billion people to be exposed and they've put considerable numbers of them in, in quite mortal danger, but it won't actually affect your career. But, and, but accountability doesn't mean you have to lose your job or never work again. It just means that you maybe have processes that are followed that you learn from and or that you show accountability but we don't have that do we (laughs) unfortunately yeah so I know you wrote about this topic recently in a blog post I think because I you know it's something I'm quite aware of even as an outsider this idea that people are the main vulnerability I know that comes up all the time in the field that okay it's all it's not about the technology it's about what people do wrong and I'm wondering like how can we sort of go about changing that is it just about processes and more accountability but like what else can we do I suppose I think it's quite a broad area I think we'll I don't think we're going to stop people from blaming people who do things and to an extent sometimes people do need to be responsible for what they do you know if I drive down the motorway too fast then okay officer yeah I did it all right but and I do that in full knowledge of the risks and the penalties to myself. I think the issue has been that we have gone so far, we've pushed the needle so far towards, but it's their fault and it's gaslighting rather than looking back upon ourselves and saying, okay, what could we do in tech to, you know, if I'm designing a product, if I'm signing off on a a marketing slogan, if I'm saying we take your privacy seriously, there shouldn't be a comma in that sentence. If, (laughs) If you're making a promise or if you're doing something, taking data, or in any way, shape or form doing anything, you should be thinking, right, how can I defend this? How can I explain this? What if something goes wrong? And people don't do that. So when I've one of the areas I'm interested in at the moment, and I'm working on quite a bit is crisis comms, and I'm doing a bit of um, I'm doing a diploma in that. And one of the things that I see a lot and a good friend of mine, Melanie Ensign, who works for, she's got her company called Discernible and they do a lot. That's not a plug, by the way. She does a lot of really good work on explaining why we need people in communications team, communications professionals to be with these people when they're designing stuff. And I just did a whole assignment about that because I think if you've got people in the room who are saying, but why, but how would you justify that to a person? But what if somebody does this? But what if somebody clicks on that? And we don't do that. We tend to go, right, we've got this amazing product. Let's go. And then we just blame people. You know, like we will say, Facebook said to everybody recently, in a, I don't know, whenever, five years ago, I don't know, you might, why don't you upload your phone, your phone numbers on here? Because it will help you do 2FA, which is wonderful, right? And that's exactly what I've been telling everybody to do. And so whilst I don't think Facebook is great, I don't like it, but it has, it's basically critical infrastructure. So that people did that. And why wouldn't they? But actually, it didn't really do anything. All they did was they took that information and they linked it to accounts directly and they gave it to, you know, they harvested it, sold it, did all these things to it. And then the the blame is put on people. Oh, why are you using Facebook? And actually, that's not the point. That's not the point. So it's why aren't you designing responsibly is my 
question. And also the last point is that the the people in my career so far who I have met, who have been the least secure, the most likely to do something absolutely ridiculous, have been CISO and security people. <laughs> and again, that's broad strokes. And I'm I don't mean to offend anybody because there's excellent people, but I have sat in some really powerful rooms, just like the Michelle Obama um, thing quote when she said, you know, I've sat in some really smart, powerful rooms and they're not all that smart. So you realize, but I've sat in rooms where people are earning, you know, eight, 10 times my salary and they're all, you know, they're all over the place and everybody goes to them for advice. And yet I've had to explain to them basic principles of security as I mean, I'm not a a really technical person, but I shouldn't have to be explaining to a CISO that maybe they shouldn't use Facebook messaging for confidential stuff. Or um, how about you use a time chat if it's confidential? You know, if you've got something you're saying to me that's maybe sensitive or it's a whistleblowing type thing, these kind of things. These are very basic things. So, yeah. I think (laughs) a lot of it comes down to just besides us not scanning for consequences whatsoever in (laughs) the majority of deployment cycles, except maybe consequences of, will this take this down? But we don't think of what happens if it scales? What are the unintended consequences at all? But is a lot of it also just, it's a locked box or previously known as a black box, but we shouldn't use that, but a locked box in messaging. And there's this whole problem that security needs to be locked up, how we're protecting ourselves needs to be locked up. But does that mean we're not actually protecting ourselves? I think people aren't given the right information. So it's all very reactive. And actually, there's no real way that people can make the right choices either, is there? Because, if, you know, like with Facebook, it maddens me that advice I will give to people will then go badly wrong because of things like that. You know, I would have said to people, absolutely use your phone number because it's a two effort because they hadn't got any other authentication. And for a lot of people, you know, you can maybe use a YubiKey or something, but that's expensive, you know, and privacy really shouldn't be behind a paywall or subject to, you know, you going through and deselecting. I mean, one of the kids apps, I, I actually, they, they changed it because I drew attention to it to be fair to them, but there were 300 different third parties that they were sharing data with that I would have had to go through and opt out of. Who's got the time for that? I mean, I'm a privacy person. I don't have the time for that. You know, it's just like it should. And so we don't give people the opportunity to make the right decisions. It's like designing a car and then selling it and going, oh, but if you want a steering wheel and if you want brakes, gotta you make oh sorry, you didn't select that when you signed up, you didn't select brakes. And people would be incandescent or, you know, sorry, when you bought that pie, you didn't say you didn't want extra salt and sugar or extra fat. So that really, really upsets me. It's even like with Signal now. I I just moved everybody across at work to Signal. I said, you don't have to use it, but please do use encrypted messaging for non, you know, for informal chats, because it's going to get us into a lot of hassle. You, You don't want to be mentioning student names and things if you're just having an informal thing. And now Signal's done this slightly odd thing with cryptocurrency payments uh, and all the rest of it. And I'm not entirely sure where that's going to go. And I I just think, gosh, I did all this work (laughs) to get people across to. And I didn't say they had to use Signal. They could have used Threema or Line or any of these other, you know, Wicca. But it's never wonderful. Um, And even Signal, when you set it up, it will send a message to everybody in your contacts list if you don't deselect that when you set up. Um, I don't know. To be fair, I don't know if they've taken that off now, but I know that that was something that I repeatedly forgot to tell people informally because I had my little test group before I launched it at work. And I was saying to people informally, hey, can you, before I did the workshop, I was saying, let's just download Signal and start messaging me on it and I'll show you what it's like. And a lot of the time they forgot. I didn't I didn't tell them. So make sure when you set it up, there's a really quick pop-up thing 
just don't share your contacts with it or something. Can't remember what it does exactly. Because all these things, there's always something nefarious with all of these. And that just means that everybody in your contact list gets a message. So and so join Signal. (laughs) And it's just, it sits really uneasily with me. I don't think everybody needs to know. No, Uh, I had to join Clubhouse, so I didn't have to join it, but I was writing about it. I was assigned to write about it, so I kind of had to join it. And I didn't notice, but a friend I invited because she was going to, we were going to test it out together. She, she pointed out the very clear thing that you import all your contacts in Clubhouse. And that's, I mean, really bad, like all of these people. And I could send invites to anybody I wanted that didn't opt into this, but these all my contacts, including my GP, because my GP has the most contacts on Clubhouse, but it's a, it's a big number. It's fine. Um, but it shows up at the top of the list and none of those people at my GP or by like none of these people opted into this app, but I am, I stupidly opted everyone in. No, but this is the thing you say stupidly, but you're not stupid. You were simply going through and these things often they click up, they flick up on the screen and depending on the device you've got, it sometimes doesn't even, you can't even click on it before it disappears it's like how did you want oh no obviously not and then I don't know sometimes it's so so nefarious and you think I don't know I'm just so sick of this as well because the all these startups and these even these established companies they run themselves like these really scrappy little startups and I am so tired of hearing from VC and and people like well I used to be when years ago I used to be somebody people would call and say hey do you want to come and present to clients for us or something and I'd say yeah but this this product like you want me to front this product and and there is no privacy to it Uh, and often horrendous horrendous data sharing things third party things and yet they were getting VC all over the place because the whole idea is we'll fund this and then we'll but the whole point as well is the data which is what I get with the edtech stuff as well it's just data 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 and monitoring and and stuff that will affect young people well into adulthood with how they're profiled just like with insurance just like with health insurance all these different ways of how whether you get a loan or not probably is going to be well I would say definitely is going to be affected by really innocent little times tables apps that you did when you were four you know so um, and I wish I was lying and exaggerating but it's not but to say oh I stupidly did this it's so bad because you're taking responsibility for something that you are not responsible I mean you are as a obviously we're you know we're adults we have you know we're cognitively able to make our own decisions but you're even with some of these things you're kind of pushed into making decisions like my horoscope app every not app page every single time I go on it because I love my horoscopes it will say hey do you want to share your data with us and I'll say no thank you and they always make you feel like you have to say yes otherwise you're not going to be able to access the page no thank you okay fine and then they'll say are you sure you want to miss out on targeted wonderful offers that will affect your future and help you and I'm thinking I just no I don't but it's always are you sure you want to miss out Mm. and so it's making people feel it's coercing isn't it or so wrong (laughs) in your mobile you can't click the x because it's so hard to get to and you just want that pop up off your screen so I can't even imagine the for uh people listening outside of the EU we're talking about the GDPR pop-up I think they're similar in California with the CCPI oh yeah yeah accessible but definitely on your mobile or at least on my mobile phone it just blocks the whole screen and you just you just yeah give away your rights instead of yeah you do you do I've done it now you give them a way to get that pop-up out of your screen yes like I need the airport wi-fi I don't care I'm gonna click everything yeah you know my firstborn child you can have that too absolutely you know the first five thousand pounds in my bank account have it I just need the wi-fi so 
yeah, we do it. We all do it because we're rushed. And, and yeah, they do. They, but there's been research into that, hasn't it? That they deliberately make the pop-ups difficult to to get rid of and make you I can't remember the word for it but there's a there's an actual technical term for that to make you to where your finger will go and slide off the screen or be uh, you're more likely to click on it and go to the site or something but it's just like all these things like Instagram they figured out that they couldn't when they scaled they couldn't manage the likes fast enough so you didn't get updates but they they figured out as well that people were checking in more to get that dopamine hit of likes so they just left it as a feature so you're you will never see your likes kind of in real time necessarily because um well that's what I heard a while back they may well have fixed it don't sue me but um, that was definitely something that they did because they said oh well it's actually driving engagement because people are coming back going but nobody's liked my selfie and because you've gone back you're on there aren't you so it makes Mm -hmm. sense doesn't it whereas we wouldn't in a store we probably if something sold out we just oh well whatever go somewhere else but when you talk about all this and you talk about vcs who's responsible then where does the actual buck stop for security well i think if you're everybody it's everybody's responsibility and that's what really gets me and you probably read that in the last blog post i I wrote and i've said this at security conferences as well nobody wants to hear it but we're all responsible and the problem is that it's not socially safe to to stand up for that i mean i know extremely good people at facebook at google and all these different places and in lots of startups which are doing quite bad things sometimes but there are good people there and they're trying very hard but as we've seen with google what happens is you tend to get pushed out now because they're just they're going so hard on the well we we can be as evil as we want because we've done it and look we're getting away with it like literally don't be evil well why don't we even bother get that off the sign erase it erase it it means I don't get caught being evil. So I think everybody should be accountable because I'm accountable. You know, I don't earn huge amounts of money. I never will in this sector. And I have too much ethics to probably go and work for some big company. And they probably wouldn't hire me anyway because I speak my mind too much because they are, people like me are not the right fit in inverted commas. But you are responsible. And at some point, you know, somebody designed something, somebody signed it off somebody's funding it but they just don't care because there's absolutely no sanctions I mean I worked for a company once in London where we had a breach on my first day and I'm actually not sure if they thought I caused it just to give myself some work I didn't and they completely shut me out of all the we had six hours before I was even told there was a breach which was a real shame because I actually knew personally the journalist who kind of disclosed this and instead of telling me I couldn't have stopped the journalist saying anything because that's you know that's their story right and that's censorship otherwise I'm not going to do that they've got their right to publish but I could have maybe discussed with that journalist because if you that's the whole point you've got that's what you want you want to be able to say hey right can we can we give you our side what can we talk about this can we make this story more informative for the customers right because that's the whole point we are trying to people are going to be panicked right when they hear about a breach and so that was that so they don't listen again nobody had sat in the rooms and talked to them they don't want to listen they don't care and two parts of this story the first one is that the reason we had such a terrible breach and a terrible response and that company's still operating by the way and I don't honest to god know how some of the people but again because it doesn't matter they had a delete your account button which did nothing so when I said to them why did you have a delete account button? This is the CEO. Why did you have a delete account button that did nothing? Because this is well, this was in 2018. So 
this is well into GDPR time. There's no way you have, that's completely illegal. And <laughs> they said, oh, we just, we made, um, we made a tactical choice. It was a financial decision. And I was saying, I don't understand. Like, so, so people were saying, I'm seeing the breach notification and thinking it wasn't, doesn't bother me. I deleted my account. And then they were getting an email from our CRM saying, you know, your, da- your data has been involved in a breach. And they were, we were getting, I don't know, 300 phone calls a, a minute saying, why, why have you got my information? Because I deleted it. And yeah, and they, they, so they did that and they didn't care. And then the chief privacy officer spoke to an all hands at the company about two or three weeks after it all calmed down and said, well, you know, the ICO is going to investigate us, but we can afford the fine and they probably won't do anything. Right. And when I went to the ICO and told them, I said, you know, I, I have this information for you. I really think that because I on the I ethically <laughs> I'm involved in this and I'm, I'm not going to see my name at some kind of parliamentary inquiry. Thank you very much. I want to be on the right side. You know, it's because it's people, it's people's um, some of the stuff that was revealed was health data and things. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't just, you know, an email address or something. It's really, really personal stuff. And I, I can't have that. And they didn't want to know either because there are no consequences. There are severe consequences for me if I do something at work, you know, if I say the wrong thing or fail to follow up something or or do anything which is outside. There's the Nolan principles. And I think we just need to think about the Nolan principles in terms of what we do. And I think one of the useful things that um, has been suggested about you know, how we can improve this is by saying to devs and VCs and people like that, write a blog post explaining that never has to be published, but write a blog post or imagine you were presenting to the board or to the stakeholders who anybody, the customers or any particular stakeholder, present to them how you would defend this. If somebody says to you, where does my data go when I've deleted it? Or if somebody says to you, what happens? I don't want to give you my phone number. Or this is health information. How will you keep it safe? Or what if somebody knows my security questions? That kind of thing. If you can defend that, almost like you would defend your thesis or something, <laughs> and kind of say, hey, you don't need to worry because we use differential privacy and or we have a completely separate database and it's all encrypted and anonymized and pseudonymized and all these other things, you can prove. But a lot of people are never asked that question, are they? So... Um, something I was thinking about recently um, and sort of your examples of like the dark patterns and those sorts of things remind me of is it's just kind of the extent to which there are so many people involved it's not just large tech companies although I think in the sort of public imaginary that's what it is but you know I've been at companies where you sort of have even someone in something like CRO so you're working on conversion rates or things like that and not necessarily to say that laws are being broken but there's always that that whole industry of you know, marketing, I guess, I guess sort of digital marketing, there's always a kind of element of how can you manipulate the user? How can you sort of push the envelope? And it seems like that's where a lot of effort of kind of how we design things is put. That's kind of where people's sort of focus is really more than anything else. That's kind of, that's what a lot of intelligent people's time is being spent doing, I guess, more than anything else, right? Oh, definitely. And I think one of the things that I really want to say, and it's a bit of an odd place to bring this in, but it is true, is that that we don't listen enough to people from the global south. And, you know, I often get asked to speak. This is probably one of the only things I'm going to speak on the whole this year. But I often say, hey, you know, you should really listen to this person who's, I don't know, in um, Lebanon or um, or in one of the African nations or, um, you know, somewhere like um, down into just trying to think of where somebody was saying they had some real issues. Oh, I can't think now, but because um, I'm going to name somewhere and say it's going to offend somebody because I think I say we don't have issues there or something, but we don't listen to the people who we should be listening to who have this lived experience of being harmed Uh, and we're seeing this in in live time now affecting us all with the vaccine rollout 
So we have plenty of people who, like I read somewhere like Kenya, and this may have changed. I really sincerely hope it's changed, but probably some of the population won't be fully vaccinated until well, the not the. the the prediction was something like 2023, which I really hope is not true. And I really hope changes, whereas you've got people like us probably who kind of have hope that by the end of the summer, maybe, or by fall or something, you know, it'll be done. And there's a real tendency to kind of go, oh, well, it's okay for us. So we're fine. And if we were taking on board a lot more of these perspectives, and, and the last year, I really thought it's a shame that we haven't heard more from people who have experienced civil war, persecution, internet blackouts, um, tech being used for real. So I mean, look at Singapore, China, some of these places where essentially even in countries where things look to be going really well, <laughs> actually, they're using things that we are now taking on and they're, well, they've been using them for a long time. And they, you know, they can tell us this, this very innocent thing, like the way that your shopping is tailored to you and oh, you like this or whatever else, or the fact your fridge is listening to you might seem cool or it might seem like a bit of a joke, but actually it's not because we've seen this, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago or something like that, or even in the very recent past and we know where it can go and that's what we're not hearing we're hearing from you know essentially people like me or whatever else but we see far too much of that and we're just hearing people kind of I hear people all the time go oh you know it's fine or the people who are on like the social dilemma I know because I've spoken to some of those men myself before 2020 and told them what you're doing is harmful the platform you're working on is harmful and yet they get a whole documentary to themselves to go isn't it we just had no idea which is just lies but it's just trying to rehabilitate themselves and a plausible excuse and you all want to do that you know you want to go oh I didn't know and then you've got people um, in the coded bias documentary which is really good and you just think they finally got their own documentary to give their own side of things but if only we had listened but if only these people from all around the world and it's you know it's mostly women and and black women or women of color and they are very much aware of the problems and they've also got their own research like jovial joy on twitter i would love it if she was able to do not have to go to congressional hearings and talk about why harm was being done and, and prove it i would love if she could actually work on what she's always wanted to work on since she was four you know imagine the world if these women could actually focus on the journalism they want to do the the robotics the ar um the AI projects they're interested in, the, the ethics project, everything that they want to do. <laughs> and we don't listen. We just let VCs go, oh, it'd be all right. Because nobody's, everybody's talking about it in a kind of, oh, maybe it'll be, maybe somebody will get hurt, but it'd be all right. <laughs> I wanted to ask you something that I think we've, we've sort of been touching on throughout really, but um, it's more about the difference between, and also more, maybe more like joining the dots between the public understanding and perception of digital security and privacy and also these industry discussions they're obviously kind of quite different domains but they're obviously connected uh, I was wondering if you could sort of talk about the maybe disjunction between the two but I'm also interested to hear who do you sort of see yourself as talking to is it the industry or is it the broader public as well I just shout into the void I think um mostly I'm mostly I, I'm I work with the public so the work I do is is vast in the week is the public. And then I, I tend to go online or, or go to phone calls and, and Zoom calls with tech people and just try not to cry or shout because, you know, it's, I mean, I had to call this weekend where somebody was, um, they spent an hour explaining to me why something that is actually could be used for something very, very, well, relatively harmful, you know, what, but was okay. And because I'd criticized it, 
And so quite a lot of the time I'm, I'm trying, I'm asked quite a lot and I try and direct people to more expert people than myself. Like there are people who do actually publish academia, you know, they've got PhDs, you know, doctors and, and all the rest of it. And, and journalists who do a lot of research, specialized research. And they are the people who I think these people need to be hearing from the problem is they don't always go where I direct them <laughs> so I think the problem is we we have health I say it's all time uh, ad nauseum but we have health information especially now if you think you're sick you can go it doesn't have to be coronavirus but you can just go there's about five different websites that you think of like you know Mayo Clinic WebMD you know all these different places NHS even here or whatever else or your health insurer wherever you happen to be and yet if you think well, where would I get cybersecurity advice from? You know, I cannot think of any one place that gives 100% uh, always reliable advice on everything that people need to know before they need to know it and that the people are aware of. Because you talk about, you know, EFF or something, does they do wonderful work and I'm very grateful that they're there doing it and they have a wonderful education pack and things like that. But sometimes the, th- the reports that come out is after the facts and I wish that we were able to develop that kind of resource more globally. I mean, here we've got NCSC, what you have in the States, CISO, CISO or something, I can't remember. NC, it's not NCC, it's something else. There was a, uh, it was actually a webinar I watched last week and I can't remember who it was sponsored by. But even then people aren't aware of that. They won't go, oh, Mayo Clinic for, we need a Mayo Clinic for cybersecurity advice, for online resilience, but, you know, what are your symptoms? <laughs> Nothing will go wrong, it's fine. But there isn't, and yeah, I mean, people why, will I work with will literally get rid of a device because they think it's their fault. Why? Why do you think that is? Like, why has there not been that? Is it just too hard to do? Is there just not? Maybe, maybe the investment just isn't interested in people having that sort of agency. I guess. Well, but. I, I think there's a there's a lot, but there's a lot to it, but. What I would say is twofold is is almost like scorn and disdain for people. There's no reason to care. So why should we care? Um, I'm afraid there is a, a certain amount of that. I mean, I remember when I went to my first DEF CON, everybody was talking to me about, oh my God, you're going on your own. Oh my God, it'll be terrible. And actually it was fine. Tech conferences, they're very male, but I mean, nobody was doing it. I know people do have bad experiences at these events. So I'm not saying they don't happen. My point was that there was this kind of ethos of, oh, well, it'd be terrible for you. And when I got there, so the expectation was bad behavior, just horrible people who don't care about any kind of ethics or morality, which isn't actually 100% true. But when I got there, the staff like the valet or the, the people taking, putting me into the cars or even the Uber drivers were saying, oh my goodness, are you at that conference? They're scary. The staff in the hotel were absolutely terrified of the attendees. What kind of sector are we where, you know, I've been to, I've been to, I've been in sales in my past life at one point and I've been to sales events and I've never, ever had people in, in the hotel kind of terrified of the attendees to the point where they were scared like that the other thing is that there's just no interest in empowering people so I get this in education a lot and I need to speak very carefully here but I when I do online resilience one of the things I'm really trying to do is say to people this is the these are the questions you need to ask you know they need to get your consent to before you sign up for an ed tech platform ask these questions and schools do not want that question to be asked because that it I don't mean that schools are consciously trying to suppress people I just think it causes a lot more hassle if you're just going oh well 10 years ago we got consent for this (laughs) and we we have these things and we get them to sign a computer agreement but actually a lot of families don't know what they're signing up for and so and it's mad because you're like well if this was a financial agreement 
you'd be all over it. Like they were actually, remember in the UK years ago, we had that credit card thing where you had to pay a credit card insurance or something and uh, against being having fraud on your account. And we all did it. And then they had to pay out thousands to people because it was, and yet now we've got millions of families being told to, you know, sign their children up for this or, or else. And yet nobody's saying to them, hey, how about you you ask these questions the the online safety advice in schools is oh don't sext um you know don't send nudes um, don't talk to strangers online but it never is actually these are the, the five things you can do to keep yourself safe my kids cross the road but we know to look both ways you know so like <laughs> how do you keep yourself safe people can't we're about 13 months into a hell of a time for to work in ed tech security <laughs> and ed tech now is also the business tools we use teams or zoom etc and like i'm here in london and i find across the board it's very different like where we reception results are next week so i've been talking to people and our top choice actually i don't think they've probably done the best remote learning because she says no zoom i don't believe in that secure that's not secure for my students okay um <laughs> it, there there will be students left behind i'm kind of now, but I do appreciate the over hypervigilance. Like my kids' photos are not online. My kid's gender is not online. My kid or my presumed my presumption of his of their yeah. See, there we go. It's hard. Um, gender is not online, but I'm not normal for that. But like my best friend in the U.S., her kid. If your camera is not on, you are marked absent. And I mean, this is a seven year old who was spending six hours a day. And a lot of them are on devices that don't even allow a virtual background, which can be better or worse, but because obviously <laughs> you know that beheads people with darker skin tones and things like that. But it seems like it's an insane privacy violation that no one was dealing with. No one was opting into, hi, my teacher can be in my home. What a hell of a year you've had. You've must have had it. <laughs> But like, how does this even work with ed tech and security issues? How does your job work? It doesn't. It's a nightmare. I think basically we have a school to prison pipeline and it's never been more evident than this last year because it's been really, really evident. And I, I love educators. I love education itself. I, I, I think it's the, the pathway to success and to, to escape for a lot of people. You know, education is such a valuable thing. But in and of itself, we don't need to be in school and we've had and I think so many children have thrived outside of school and we're always always seeing basically is that people are scared for their jobs and they're having more meetings than they ever did before because the surveillance tools the boss is like well where are you what are you doing um okay you're fully remote but you know they're monitoring and then instead of because they can't push back on that because they're going to lose their jobs schools have had to kind of pick up the slack and go well fine to enable you to be on online on your you know you as a worker drone we're going to prepare your children for that imminent future as worker drones by putting them on zoom six or seven hours a day and basically some teachers should be prison guards and I I mean basically I think it's Audrey Waters she does a lot of really good work in on ed tech people like Chris Gilliard and loads of other people like that. And they just say, you know, cop shit, sorry to swear, but um, it doesn't belong in schools. It does not belong in schools. And 
you know, we've got biometrics already, we've got facial recognition, we've got all these different measurement tools and all these little judgments. You know, if you've got your, even even before COVID, you know, your little homework app or your times tables apps, if you are not doing those, if you're not logging in and using your code and, and signing up and then you're not online doing them, or if you're on, even if you are on there and you're doing it on a low level, you're being profiled and they're building up a little picture of you as a family, of the other families in your street. And this happened in the UK and um, now I'm going to forget it. Defend Digital Me is a Twitter account, but they're actually an organisation. And Jen Person does a huge amount of really good work. And she did some research a few years back, and I think they've mostly stopped it. But up until about two or three years ago, you could, as a journalist, or as if you had a, you said, oh, I've got a tutor. If you just had a, a reasonable interest, like oh, I want to start a tutor company or something, you could say, I want, I want the data of the children in schools in this area, this postcode area. And they would give you everything from free school meals, from SEN, for every, everything, which is stuff that if I was to give to you today, because I have, I have all that because obviously I have it on my computer at work, I would be fired and I would never work in education again, quite rightly so. But the government just gave it to people. And considering they sold all our NHS data for a pound to Palantir and Clearview, I don't think the future is very rosy. And so when I say to, but people just don't want to, they, they have been, it's not that they don't want to fight. They've been told that they can't fight. And because we are, I think the most telling thing was when the Duchess of Cambridge and she, the royals are very controversial figures and I'm not a royalist, but she actually, her PR strategy over the summer was to say, oh, I'm, I'm exhausted or something. I feel exhausted. That's what their PR strategy was. Now, why is she exhausted? I know when you kind of really think about it, it's actually, no, she's not exhausted because she hasn't got nannies or cooks or chefs. She hasn't got any of the stresses and her children will be fine, even if they never get a single educational qualification in their lives, like most of their relations. And they will be absolutely fine because dad's got money, right? They've got yachts, right? They can just start selling those stolen jewels instead of giving them back to the countries they colonised. But I digress. So why she's actually exhausted is because there's so much pressure from the school and that you cannot escape it because even the royal family, it was it really, really got me because I just thought, wow, you know, what she's actually saying is there's so much pressure. The children have to be at this level. The children have to be doing this. The, the teacher will tell me off instead of actually... You know, no, because I've said to my my kids' schools, no, <laughs> they're not going to have their camera on the whole time. No. And they said, oh, you're the first person to say that. And I was like, you know, well, I won't be last, but we don't enable people to kind of say, hey, I've got a, I've got an opinion. I'd like to complain about this. Well, we, we will complain as Brits, but not enough about the right things. It's all about the rain. <laughs> um, I was interested here you mentioned Palantir and the NHS. And I, I sort of, you know, I don't know anything about ed tech or the industry, but I'm interested to hear your perspective on sort of to what extent is the issue sort of privatisation? And I don't know what the procurement process is for these sort of tools or anything, or if there are oh. any standards, but like, is is it kind of largely driven by sort of privatisation, I guess, or sort of encouraging sort of private entry into these sort of fields, I suppose? Oh, 100%. So it's a very important question that because when I say to people, especially in this country, unless I was say in Singapore or somewhere, if I say I'm a teacher, or I work in education, people will not say, Oh, wow, you must be earning lots of money, right? Whereas if I said, Hey, I'm a CISO, uh, I don't know, Oracle. <laughs> 
or something, you'd be like, wow, you must be on like 300,000 a year. So there's no money in education. So why are they there? That's the question you've mm-hmm. got to ask. And there's a lot of, oh, I'm an ex-teacher turned, you know, and, and I think sometimes people do. I don't think it's all bad. I love technology. I absolutely love it. I absolutely love the fact that we've got times tables, platforms, and that we can do lots of different interactive things. And that basically it makes it more accessible people wherever they are. So you've got somebody who's injured or disabled children or children with um, SCND. It makes it much easier for them now. Um, and that's why a lot of them have thrived, you know, because you can get closed captions and all the rest and more but there's a reason they're making money you cannot a lot of the smaller platforms don't make money because they refuse to be unethical and I just don't I want people to think about the fact that when they think about me as working in education or you know you think about your average classroom teacher the salary they're getting and the fact that they would automatically assume well you're probably not that well paid but these like giants like Pearson and who else read do a lot of training even though it's not you know why is zoom going to school google and apple schools whole google and apple schools wow but i can't if i have a child who needs desperate mental health care sometimes it's a six to six week wait or if they're lucky sometimes it's six months we have to fight for funding for you know for some of the special needs help we get and yet these companies are swimming in money and pearson for instance is planning it's recruiting now hard for a head for principal for its global online school so while the rest of us are being told to go back to work and schools in person these giants they wouldn't be doing this if there wasn't money in those hills right so (laughs) they're planning for a future where we're going to need more online and where they've seen that it works the problem is that there's just so much data in there but I find that if you ask them if you say well you know because I'm always asking these questions you know so where does the data go and who's processing that then and because they i'm the first person to ask them that in 10 contracts they're often taken aback and what else is going to say oh yeah but people just procure things all the time we had like this school um the online parents evening thing that a lot of the platform a lot of people used this last year kept crashing and they were saying oh it's a global platform and my school signed up to that even though we have three different ways that we can already use um teams or anything else for online they they we signed up to this without me knowing and um so that was good and because it just gets signed off by someone usually in it and and actually it's not a global online platform it's you know six people in an office in barnsley and there's no privacy officer and no offense to barnsley but you know that's not a, an on that's just a I said, just because you've got some schools using your service in Germany and Beijing or, I don't know, Canberra or something, it doesn't, I mean, yeah, you're global, right? (laughs) Yeah. And that's the other thing that bothers me is a lot of schools are doing now IT and digital strategy. Like, um, so, hey, train our teachers, train our staff, train our families on IT and be involved in the procurement. But these are often IT computer science teachers. And I am sorry, but it's a bit like IT and businesses. Your IT department won't necessarily care about security or privacy. Because those are completely separate things. Coding or, you know, setting up a firewall is not necessarily caring about the rights of third party data sharing. It's just not people like me. I love compliance. I love the law. But um, not everybody <laughs> thinks about it. Just like I don't always think about, you know, networking and layering and things like that. So or marketing all the time, whatever. So, yeah. It feels like it could have been a great opportunity, but there was such a rush, which is fair. Everyone was rushing, but it would have been a great opportunity for cybersecurity training in mass of educating parents and teachers and everything. Yeah, I mean, again, like they just, people just don't think, like, I've been asking for years, I've been suggesting, hey, why don't we go to like Vegas? Because that's your big thing. Everybody seems to be there and talk about it all the time. Why don't we do um advice there for people instead of going there and messing with atm and putting googly eyes on all the statues why don't we um (laughs) why don't we 
do some outreach, teach people how to, you know, use you give out some YubiKey, right? Or teach people how to use MFA or um, just do some workshops or something. Why don't we do that at transport hubs? People are giving away free samples of cereal bars while, you know, giving people little fun things that they can do or bits of advice and doing outreach. Nobody's doing that. And I genuinely think it's because also people don't really understand how to explain things because tech training is awful. Again, it comes to the accountability. It's done often by just anybody who wants to set up their training and then they get cert and they all like certify each other and go, oh, you're an accredited instructor. Like by who? <laughs> who inspects the, t- the tech trainers, right? Nobody, I'm not saying they're all bad. I'm not saying that. But no, like people inspect the people who trained me. There were standards I had to reach. There were clear kind of ABCD standards. Whereas here, you can actually do a tech training and then say you've actually got that training, even though you haven't done the exam. That's enough, right? And also, nobody really cares. Like, so half the people at these companies where they've got CIPP, CS, CISSP, or like, I don't know, SANS or whatever else, other certs, they're still the ones helping contribute to issues. So what does it mean, you know? But the problem is that there things aren't explained to tech people. When there's the training, it's like the OSCP is a big tech training thing and, and they did a 24-hour exam or 48-hour exam. It's proctored as well. And the fact that there's not more people in tech yelling about the fact that's proctored shows you the privilege in tech and shows you the problem. But their whole motto is try harder. No, that's not more. Mm-hmm. I said that to the kids. I, you know, try harder. Oh, miss, I've got anxiety. Try harder. <laughs> It's like, miss, I don't understand this fraction. Try harder. Because we don't explain things when we train. So we don't know how to explain things ourselves because you have to hide it. So I honestly think there's that as well. People just genuinely uh, um, just switch it off and on again. So it's like that, really. I don't want to kind of take up too much more of your time. But when you sort of talk about explaining things, I sort of wonder, and I I was going to mention surveillance and we haven't brought it up before, but I sort of wonder if it's almost quite hard to sort of explain some of these issues without giving people or sort of communicating this like broader infrastructure of sort of how and why things are being done the way they are online. I think sometimes we sort of talk about them in, in this sort of very particular we sort of talk about sort of online safety or tracking on a website but we don't sort of I still don't think we've sort of helped people to kind of connect that to a broader infrastructure that's that's kind of actually a sort of reason why these things are happening I suppose. Yeah I think one of the things I try not to do is I I hope I don't I try to scare people (laughs) because somebody was talking about the Facebook thing the other day and that and I think it is this idea that there's so much surveillance and that oh what can we do with all our everybody knows everything and I don't believe ever that privacy is dead I think that you have a right to have a private life and there's still things you can take back now the private the Facebook breach is out there it's done they've got your phone number potentially or your that doesn't that will actually harm people who are maybe in witness protection or whatever else but for the vast majority of people they will be fine but the thing is you can't change your name specifically or you can change your phone number and things like that but you know realistically it's a it's a real hassle I wouldn't want to have to do it unless I had to so it's really just saying to people be more mindful and you know if somebody calls you in a year or two years time and seems to know a lot about you just you know you step back and it's really giving them the time to go actually no and again like I've said before telling people to say no they don't feel that they've got that right because we're always by definition polite but also you know you can just you know I say just create three or four fake gmail or whatever else addresses or proton mail is quite nice or anything and then you know give them something really benign like dog six or something at gmail that's probably taken but you know what i mean they're going to remember it's going to be easy for people to copy down and then you can sign up to these things and they're not going to give away as much of your data because no matter how much has gone out you can still take some control back and you can even though say facebook have given everything away <laughs> you are still the fortress there you can still ask questions and 
or even just refuse to answer the phone like sorry scam call um you can set your phone to you know not accept calls that don't have caller id or um you can block numbers you can say can you call me i'll call you with that you know it's just but we don't spend enough time telling people that they can do that that it's fine and often when they do do that they're told they're difficult but you just go i think you know be like me be like a be like a white man you know be like no because <laughs> they I'll say no I need to think you know no you're not doing this um or just don't be afraid to be called out difficult because I'm called difficult all the time um a pain in their backside but to be honest with you but yeah <laughs> hopefully it makes it slightly more difficult sometimes people to get stuff out of me yeah I think I think one thing you you mentioned there that particularly sort of I think is particularly important is the fact that it's something you've got to do again and again it's not something you sort of just put in place and it's there it's something people need to kind of continuously return to revise you know I mean partly for a practical reason that the field does always change but also just yeah it's something that needs to constantly be done all the time so every something you need to be aware of I guess it's not something you just implement and stop thinking about yeah and again there's no advice and there's no I'm glad that Apple for instance have got their privacy kind of food labeling sort of thing because that's what we see in the supermarket we've got used to it you know I know 15 years ago I don't know how long we we were still smoking in clubs and in taxi cabs and things like that so now it's completely different and we have all these signs up everywhere and we're just used to things so it can happen but I think people just aren't reminded all the time and we get used to it you know all these like we've discussed you know all these little horrible nefarious ways they have of making us click things and do things which are wrong because it's completely illegal to sell somebody something diet i mean look at the problems we had over sunny d years back I mean, i'm that old <laughs> you know, like that. but it's not orange juice is it? little kids turning orange and all sorts <laughs> but it's that point because now and because of that we have labeling right and you're constantly reminded of that when you go around the shop um you know but we're not when we go to stores i mean i've spoken to so many stores here and never goes anywhere about you know could you just put a little qr code in with your smart fridges or your your you know, smart products certainly could link to a website that has loads of consumer information and it just never goes anywhere. And I would love that. Can you imagine just being able to go, right, fine, cool. I've got that. I'm going to look at these. So when you're setting up your printer, you remember that you don't just keep the password as one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> because nobody thinks, nobody thinks, do they? Plug it, play, fantastic, done. And yeah, that, that's not people are stupid and it's not people are lazy. It's just they're not encouraged to think. Your job is hard to find this, but what would make you optimistic or what are you looking forward to in the next year? Do you know what? Well, people, people generally make me quite optimistic. Uh, <laughs> I think there's hope. There's always hope. There's always the, the good people. What I really, I mean, my aim is to open a dog daycare, which does privacy workshops um, on the side in San Diego. Um, so if anyone would like to help me with that, that'd be great. <laughs> but so then people can come and like pet dogs and learn about privacy. I think they would love that. I mean, obviously people are allergic, so we have to make it inclusive in other ways and accessible, but that's what I want. So dogs make me feel quite positive but I think I think there is hope I think there's a large amount of really good research there's a lot of people doing a lot of good work and the students like when I talk about EdSec and things there's huge pushback from students young people they are like we said we've we've the school to prison pipeline is there and they're very much suppressed but they are getting a voice and they've had it you know they've given up everything this year and I think this is a real kind of visceral moment in their lives and I don't think these young people are going to be easy to kind of suppress because they are pushing back and because often as adults you know I have to be quite careful there's a particular company I'm not going to talk about because they litigate against everybody and I wouldn't want to bring that down on you either because as soon as you say they're a bit nefarious they kind of sue but the students are doing that for themselves they've got their own website 
and they um, they talk about it and I was on my blog but they talk about it and they're pushing back so that's that's what gives me hope young people give me a lot of hope well, unless it's my own children who are feral grass <laughs> <laughs> um, is not greener on the other side um, <laughs> well I just want to say thank you for being the quote your profile on Twitter it usually says uppity and difficult <laughs> providing a public service so thank you for that. <laughs> well i try <laughs> yeah uppity was because somebody some lovely tech pro called me that on his monetized blog i make if people say nasty things about me i make it my um about me slide if i talk which is always a good way of just winning because you know you, you can't internalize that but yeah most people are okay and if privacy just gets you down gets me down i just look at pictures of dogs on instagram again using instagram <laughs> <laughs> or in malls around the world I think you really take up in it to a better level yeah. <laughs> yes so I just I just think we should have yeah we should have dogs everywhere so I'm trying to get dogs at work but they keep saying oh no it's a risk that's probably a good place to leave it um <laughs> but uh before before you go where can people find you online or on twitter like yeah if you've got anything to promote just give it a shout out yeah, so I'm either um, Stella or um, I'm Sec Trash Panda as well. I have that's my kind of more consumer facing, less dog related personal thing. And then I have I have links to my blog and other things there. But I try and amplify other work, really, because there's a lot of really, really good work being done by a lot of researchers and, and organisations like Tactical Tech or EFF that do really good work. So, yeah. But thank you. So that's just about all we've got time for on this week's show. Once again, thank you, Stella, for taking the time to talk to us. And thank you as well for listening to what we talk about when we talk about tech. As always, you can check out our earlier episodes on our website, which is talkabouttechpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. We are at underscore talkabouttech. Remember, you can follow me, like I said at the start. I'm at Rich G. Gall. Jennifer is at JK Riggins. So yeah, please do reach out. We're always happy to chat and yeah, happy to get your thoughts on the show and get your thoughts on anything storytelling and technology related Um, but anyway we'll be back next time with another guest but till then thank you for listening and goodbye